non-monogamous community and sexual community are um, best when there's like a real sense of community, you know, between people where people have a sense of like togetherness and there's a sense that people can really expect that, you know, someone will have their backs when things go wrong, you know? And so we've just spent a lot of time trying to develop that sense of togetherness and common values and um, shared praxis around non-monogamy and sex positivity in a bunch of different spaces from picnics and potlucks to, you know, big play parties. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Well, welcome to episode 234. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have a fantastic conversation with William, who is the founder of the Bonobo Network in San Francisco. Yeah, this is a great conversation, and we're really excited about it. William talks to us not only about his story, but also... Uh, the story of the formation and sort of his taking over the Bonobo Network and getting that going, uh, community building, uh, consent, handling COVID for parties. There's so many things in this conversation. It is fantastic. So we're really excited. Uh, thank you, William, for coming on the show. And also, uh, back on episode 214, we had one of the other co-organizers, uh, Misha Bonaventura come on the podcast and hear her story and hear her talk about the Bonobo Network. So if you want to learn more about Bonobo, uh, you can check out that episode or links to the Bonobo Network's website and all of that information will be in the podcast show notes. We highly recommend you check it out. We actually had the opportunity to have dinner with Misha and William uh about a month ago about a month ago and they're wonderful people and so we're really excited about what they've built and what they're continuing to build so check it out uh it is a virtual community as well so uh, you can join it from anywhere yes before we jump into the interview we do have a couple of announcements first up if you're looking for community, we would highly recommend you go check out our Patreon community. We're so grateful for each and every one of you that is part of that. We have over 200 members and ongoing Mimi chat, monthly Q&As, men's groups, women's groups, and just a lot of great, fantastic communication and support in there. Yeah. And I will just say uh, no competition here with the Bonobos because we actually have quite a few members of our community community. It's a hard <laughs> word to say when you're sick. Uh, a couple of members in our community who are also members of the, Bo the Bonobo Network. And so uh, we're, we're non-monogamous. Right. We, can, we can be part of multiple communities. Yes, so, yes, we all uh, can. <laughs> we, we are just really excited about yeah what they're building and what we're building. So To find out more, go to our website, Normalizing Nominate. Now you're catching up. I know. You're Normal catching my disease. <laughs> NormalizingNominogamy.com and click on the Patreon button. While you're also on our website, uh, you can go to the Community Events tab and find information about our upcoming virtual meet and greet. It's going to be on May 13th. That's a Friday. Friday the 13th, virtual meet and greet uh, for two hours in the evening. We'd love to have you join us. These virtual meet and greets are open to anyone. I'm okay. My calf just cramped up. You don't need to stop. <laughs> you don't need to stop. These I'm breathing through the pain. These virtual meet and greets are open to anyone, not just Patreon members. So go check it out and join us. 
We also have some in-person events coming up, but not until September. The weekend of September 17th, we in New Orleans, Louisiana, we'll have a high ropes course and a pool party that Saturday. So we'll, we're putting together a whole weekend of events, uh, more information coming soon, but you can sign up for the pool party. Go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com under community events, and you'll find all of the information there. You can also sign up for the high ropes. Yes. Yeah. I should have added that. Thank yep. you. Yep. And the last thing you can do, well, not the last thing, but one of the other things you can do on our website is head over to the resources tab and check out all of the resources that Emma and I use uh, regularly to help us in our non-monogamous journey. One of our absolute favorites we've been using for years is stdcheck.com. If you're a regular listener, you're very familiar with this, but if you're new, perhaps you're looking for a way to get tested for STIs where you don't have to go and have awkward, uncomfortable conversations with your doctor, or maybe you get tested pretty frequently. So stdcheck.com is how Emma and I get tested for STIs. We've been using the service for years. It's affordable, it's fast, it's super simple, and it's discreet. It costs about $130 to get a 10-panel test if you use the links on our website, which, again, saves you $10, but it also helps support the show financially. So a huge thank you in advance for doing that. The last thing you can do on our website, reach out to us, send us an email, send us a voicemail. We'd love to hear from everybody. We'd love to hear your feedback. We'd love to hear from you if you'd love to come on the show. You don't have to be a Bonobo founder or anybody <laughs> crazy. You just have to be your beautiful self with an amazing story, which of course it is. And you come on and share it. That's how it works. Yep. So we hope to hear from you. We hope you have a fantastic day and enjoy this episode with William. Let's go. Welcome to the the podcast, uh, William. It's been, as you said, off record. It's been a long time coming. We've been, I think the first time we pinged you was like two years ago, and we've just been missing each other for a while. So we're glad to finally make it happen. We're excited to have you here, and we're excited to learn more about you. So thank you for being here. I'm so excited to join you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Well, for for anybody who's maybe not in the Bay Area and who doesn't know William Winters, because I, as far as we understand, you are a fairly well-known figure in the area. So for anyone who doesn't know you, do you mind introducing yourself uh, for the listeners and, and for us as well? Sure. Yeah. My name is William Winters. Um, I have lived in the Bay Area for about 13 years, and uh, I'm the founder of Bonobo Network, which I run with my uh, business partner, dear friend, and previous guest on this podcast, Misha Bonaventura. Mm -hmm. um, and Bonobo Network is um, a sex-positive non-monogamous community. We do learning, we do coaching, we do social events, all sort of built around the idea that uh, non-monogamous non community and sexual community are um, best when there's like a real sense of community, you know, between people where people have a sense of like togetherness and there's a sense that people can really expect that, you know, someone will have their backs when things go wrong, you know? And so we've just spent a lot of time trying to develop that sense of togetherness and common values and um, shared praxis around non-monogamy and sex positivity in a bunch of different spaces from picnics and potlucks to, you know, big play parties. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think, you know, we, we were uh, at, was it Pleasure Fest 2020? 2020, I believe. So that was our first real exposure to the Bonobo Network and it was a fantastic experience. And 
like loved the consent focus and the community, like you said, the community aspect, it felt like, it felt like, yeah, people that you just barely knew did have your back. So I, I am impressed by the ability to, to create that atmosphere. So thank you for, thank you for doing that work. For all that amazing work. We really appreciate it. Do you mind, I guess, taking us back when, when in your life were you introduced to non-monogamy? My first conversation about non-monogamy happened in probably 2003 when I was crushing on someone in my friend circle of like activists at LSU. And, uh, you know, she was in a relationship, but she kept talking about how, you know, she and her partner had talked about being in an open relationship. And I was like, huh, open relationship, huh? And that was the first time that, um, you know, that idea sort of uh, entered my consciousness. I would say that I started pursuing non-monogamy myself around 2007 with my partner, Anna, who I'm still married to. And, um, uh, you know, we were having just conversations about life, the universe, and everything as people in their mid-20s do. And we, you know, just started talking about like our our values around relationships and some of our shared traumas and what we were looking for. And as the conversation went on, um, it just sort of started sounding more and more like we were talking a little bit about some of the tenets of polyamory. And so uh, I mentioned that. And you know, I remember one of us saying, yeah, but that doesn't really work, right? <laughs> um, uh, I think at the time we had a couple of friends who were in an open relationship and it was very clear that their opening up their relationship was like a prelude to a breakup. So we didn't exactly have good models at the time in, you know, South Louisiana in 2007. Um, so I, I was like having a conversation with a coworker. Uh, a few days later and mentioned this conversation about open relationships. And she's like, oh, well, you know, I just got this weird book, um, uh, The Ethical Slut, from the Women's Center book sale at LSU. Um, do you want it? And I was like, whoa, I have the conversation one day and two days later I get handed the polyamory instruction manual? It must be fate. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, wow. Yeah. So it uh, turns out, uh, you know, not exactly an instruction manual, uh, very like polemical and, and yeah, it definitely got a lot of like the sort of theory down, but you know, mm-hmm. the, the work of um, learning new ways of being and unlearning old ways of being uh, ended up being a multi-year process and ended up being like really sort of circuitous and, um, you know, the progress wasn't always linear, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot harder to do it than to read about it as, as I think we've, we've discovered ourselves. Like you can read all the books, but like, just because somebody says, well, you're supposed to have compersion when your partner goes you're like, Oh, okay, well that's what I'm supposed to do. And yeah, you don't just, you don't just arrive there because you read about it in a book. So I, I think that's super important point that you made there. Yeah. I mean, when I'm coaching people around non-monogamy and their you know new journeys into polyamory, one of the most common mistakes that I see is people confusing 
their values and philosophy for their capacity. You know, yeah. uh, you can have full alignment with the values and philosophy of polyamory. You can, you know, really believe that compersion is the way, but uh, working, you know, 20 or 30 or 40 years of training in a cis heteronormative, mononormative society from your psyche takes a little bit more time than it takes yeah. just like reopening up or poly secure yeah. or whatever. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I was, I was curious when you, you said in like roughly 2003, you were crushing on somebody who was in an open relationship and that was sort of your, your initial exposure. And then it was really four years before you maybe had that conversation with a partner of yours about it. And you were sort of just talking about values and approaches and, how you think about things. I'm curious, did you feel like the values and the, the perspective of like being open and being non-monogamous, that those were sort of core values of yours sort of along that, along the route, like maybe even before you learned that it was a thing, but like definitely that like four year gap where you weren't really doing anything about it, but it was sort of, I don't know, marinating on the back burner. Um, I'm just kind of curious, like when you arrived at that conversation with your partner, like what, how did you show up for that mindset? Maybe? Yeah. The mindset that you kind of brought to that conversation. I mean, I certainly, when we were having that conversation, as I recall, did not have like non-monogamy, uh, like on my agenda for the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But we were talking about some of our past experiences with, very jealous partners. Um, like we both had a couple of like very jealous partners previously who, you know, did a lot of damage. And, you know, we were talking about just like the, uh, idea of like, you know, relationships as like sort of implied ownership, (laughs) you know, uh, and really like sort of commonly rejecting that, you know, uh, I, I certainly, think now that one does not have to do monogamy in like particularly toxic ways (laughs) you know like like there are so many amazing and healthy and interdependent uh not codependent ways to do to have monogamous relationships and i really um you know admire the people for whom like that's their path and and they can make that work you know um uh but, you know, at the time, uh, like coming from a pretty conservative, socially conservative place, even, um, you know, among like my more liberal friends, you know, um, the path forward from young adulthood was marriage and children and homeownership and, you know, professional life and, you know, like having that sort of escalator into mm-hmm. a commonly understood version of like adulthood. Um, yeah. yeah. And, um, uh, you know, I think that the conversations that we were having at the time were just like starting, uh, to question some of what we viewed as, you know, the sort of common elements of 
some of the worst monogamous relationships we had we'd been in, you know, and and yeah. it's kind of like going from there. And I think there were other there were other motivations as well. You know, I think that you know um, I was very interested in sexual adventure and you know being able to like continue uh connecting with other people um you know i I had a pretty like sort of voracious appetite i suppose um uh and um i was kind of like oh okay well here i am with this person who i'm pretty sure is my person uh is this it you know uh and i think that for her to a certain extent who um just had like not that much sexual experience like you know not many partners before we got together i think she was also kind of asking is this it from a slightly different perspective yeah. you know like it's just like yeah. the end of my experience in the world my exploration with people um yeah i don't want to speak for her too much yeah right no totally and so where did that journey you talk about it you kind of arrive at like, hey, this is sounds like polyamory. Where does that take you? Where yeah, where does that take you to? Like, what does the journey look like from that jumping off point? To be honest, it took me to a real mess, <laughs> uh, as as yeah. I think often happens with yeah. uh, with people just opening yeah. up. You know, I have a quick clarification yeah. uh-huh. question: How long had you been with your partner? at that time in 2007 when you started having those conversations about two years so you had a, you had a, you had time to have a i guess no really understand who each other are um kind of going into those conversations at least some a little bit of history i'm yeah, just totally. putting some context there so so it pulled you into a mess <laughs> yeah i mean i think that um we had pretty different needs you know i think that I was pretty inclined to just like go for it and like barrel forward and, you know, um, just like make clumsy mistakes and, you know, just like kind of be okay with it. And, and a lot of the early conversations that we had, um, about it, like we, we talked a lot about like, again, making a very common mistake where we thought our capacities were based on what we believed and not really sort of taking the time to, assess like where we actually were and where our capacities actually were. So we were talking about capacities more than we were talking about agreements. And um, yeah, I mean, I think that, that as a result, um, you know, there were some hurt feelings and a pretty rough entry, you know, where I think I connected um, sexually with someone where when I sort of like, understood based on these conversations about capacity, you know, that I had like permission, you know, uh, to, to act. And, you know, perhaps I, I did, but, you know, I think that it still really, uh, hurt Anna's feelings. And, you know, we took a little while to like recover to her, to her credit. She really wanted to stick with the project of non-monogamy. Like, I think that she really recognized that uh, there was something there for her, but, you know, also really set a boundary that we needed to move forward with like a lot more care and deliberation than I sort of approached, uh, uh, approached it with. Yeah. Yeah. It's super hard, right? Because you don't like, you don't necessarily know either really either of you, like you, 
you kind of have the aspirational self first, like the practical, like actual self. And I think sometimes you don't know what your capacity is until you've exceeded it. And, and then you're, you're in it. Like, then what do you do? You have to recover somehow. Mm -hmm. And so that work is ever like that growth happens because you sometimes exceed a capacity and, but it isn't easy. So I absolutely can really relate to that. So yeah, Yeah. thank you for sharing that. And I think that like practically speaking, like the avenues for meaningful support that I would probably recommend to people today, like weren't really available. Like in 2007, polyamory hadn't exactly had its cultural moment yet, you know? Uh, And, um, you know, all of the articles that, you know, were written about it were like, hey, people are doing this weird thing called polyamory. Uh, And today, you know, now there are uh, articles that are like, here's the polyamory instruction manual, or here's like some fine point of polyamory being published in like uh, the New York times and like the modern love section. Uh, Like it's like, like the way the public conversation about non-monogamy has progressed in these last like 15 years since Mm -hmm. opening up um, our relationship um, uh, just means that there's so much more, support available. There's a whole ecosystem of uh, therapists now who actually like get something about non-monogamy. There uh, is a huge range of uh, amazing books. Like at the time, I think, you know, I knew of, you know, opening up and the ethical slut and, you know, not much else. And now there's like the amazing, like polysecure and, uh, just so many other resources. There's a whole ecosystem of therapists who, you know, understand and, and, you know, like actually get non-monogamy instead of just pathologizing it, you know, uh, which is what I fear we might've encountered had we tried to like do couples therapy in Louisiana to support our opening up in 2007. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um, uh, we really struggled through it. The other thing is that we didn't really have like a community around us, Mm -hmm. you know, like, like we were the only two people um in our friend group who were trying to like do polyamory as like a sort of functioning couple (laughs) and um uh like there just like wasn't a real community in the area new orleans now has like a huge polyamory scene i just love what's happening there right now with like kinky salon new orleans and, and so on but like that was not the case back then. Yeah. And so, yeah. Well, and I, I'm sure that made it a challenge too, to like find other partners, right? Because now you're, you're showing up like, Hey, I'm interested in you and I have a partner and I'm doing this thing called polyamory. And it's not really in the mainstream lexicon at that point. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there were certainly people who were like interested um, in, like, you know, sort of more casual connections, some people who were like perhaps interested in like ongoing dating. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think either of us really had a sense of like the possibility of like ongoing partnership of like deep metamorph relationships, et cetera. Um, until we got to the Bay area in, uh, late 2008. 
Yeah. Yeah. And so what did that, what did that journey then evolve into? Like, yeah. I guess moving to the Bay area is a pretty big jump. Yeah. And the, and like you said, the circuitous, like this is a struggle and now it's good and it's a struggle and it's good. And like, you're just, you're learning and learning and learning. And then you show up in, so in Northern California and yeah, where does it take you from there? Yeah. So, um, I got a job with an activist organization uh, based in Oakland in 2008, and and that work took me here. And um, you know, we knew that we had found that we were moving to a place that you know was like going to be special for non-monogamy, for sexual freedom. I don't think we had like the language of like sex-positive culture just yet, but um, uh, like we knew that we were moving to like a special place for it we didn't realize that we were moving to like the fertile crescent of polyamory, you know, like it was just uh, like, there's just so much uh, community, so much up even, even back then, you know, um, now, and now that's just exploded in, in huge ways. But um, yeah, I mean, it was, I guess maybe it took us about a year to like find the corner of the poly community in the Bay area where the people really felt like our people, you know, mm-hmm. where we thought we we're, we're like looking around and thinking, Oh, these are our peers. These are the people who we want to build with. This is like the community that we want to like really make our home. You know, it, it really started actually with this event called the open relationship community potluck that, um, this guy, Philippe Lewis and, uh, his partner, Paget Norton started in, uh, 2009 and um uh yeah i mean i just like suddenly like we had models of people just like doing non-monogamy in the ways that i think we wanted to get to of people just like hanging out casually and doing like the kitchen table thing i think we didn't have that language either back Mm -hmm. then but you know but um you know if people just like having like a huge range of relationships with like, um, like pretty fluid definition actually, but where there was just a lot of love and a lot of support and a lot of, uh, connection, both like interpersonally, like directly between people, but also just like through the lens of like the shared community, you know, Mm -hmm. like just, there's just like this whole like layer of people who you could expect that you were going to like see from week to week or month to month from event to event, you know? Um, yeah. And just like being a part of that ecosystem was probably the biggest accelerator of Mm -hmm. like our sort of practice and comfort as people practicing non-monogamy and, you know, our agreements started to, shift as we just got to see like what's possible you know like i don't i don't know how one uh like successfully (laughs) does non-monogamy without like some community around it i know it happens you know but uh i just think the community is so important oh yeah it makes a huge difference it gives you an outlet to talk to people and relate to people uh that you just don't most a lot of people don't have and and when you're going through you know, trying to do relationships in a way that are a little bit unusual, I guess, or maybe not unusual, but uh, not ordinary. Yeah, non-normative. Counter- non- yeah, 
Yeah. yeah. And then normally. Well, yeah. And a lot of times I think you end up, you're like talking to somebody and they're like, oh, and we did this and this and this. And you're like, well, I didn't even know that was a damn thing I could do. Like <laughs> you just, you, your world just explodes with possibility when you're like, well, I didn't know we could do this and that and the other thing. Like nobody ever told me I was allowed to do that. And I think that that's one thing that we've gotten mm-hmm. a lot out of. I, mean, I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. So you, you started building that or you started getting involved in that community. And, and what did that do that those experiences? I mean, how, how did your relationship with your partner at that time change? I just remember in that first year or so after moving to the Bay, some of our agreements were, you know, and some of the, some of the conversations we were having were around like very fine mechanics you know so like if we're hanging out together and one of our partners is around like uh to what extent are we doing like pdas with them to what extent are we you know like like um i think that basically we were in the practice of creating agreements as armor as opposed to creating agreements as scaffolding you know Mm -hmm. um like creating agreements as a way to like protect us from like any possible hurt or slight you know uh as opposed to creating agreements that were aligned with like our uh agency and growth as you know both individuals and as like a unit you know and um um i think that like the biggest shift was like going into a more scaffolding based approach to creating agreements and just like i mean it was it was so amazing how quickly some of uh like like the the sort of importance and weight we put on some of these conversations just like faded away you know like suddenly just became like not important to figure out like could we hold hands with the other partner or you know with like the metamore or whatever it is you know yeah 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 do you do you think that the the foundation that you and and anna built in in louisiana like like you were kind of on your own in this little island so obviously you weren't completely alone but you were sort of figuring it out without the community without the support there was a lot of like learning and growing pains do you think that foundation helped serve you when you showed up in the bay area like do you think if you had shown up in the bay area without that that you that it would have been harder for you to like find your groove and like jump on that train like would it have been maybe too overwhelming like to to be immersed in like the epicenter of non-monogamy from scratch basically um that is really hard to say and it's hard it's hard to say um you know i think that so much of the answer to that question would be about like you know how strong our sort of connection is and mm-hmm. um you know how committed we are you know to like maintaining focus on one another while also going through like that kid in the candy store sort of phase that people can sometimes go through yeah when introduced to non-monogamous community. Um, yeah. yeah. And so that, like, I, I like to imagine that 
it might have worked, <laughs> but right. uh, but it's sure. hard to say. And maybe that maybe a different way that I had thought about asking that question, and then I didn't for some reason is like, <laughs> do you do you felt like you had sort of hit your stride in Louisiana before you moved? Even though like maybe when you got to the Bay Area, you were like, hey, we were like cruising along, and then we were like, whoa, this is a way different like community around it. But like that, you too felt like you had sort of found a groove that was sort of starting to work for you before you picked up roots and, and moved. I mean, we certainly established a lot of closeness and, you know, sort of mutual support and uh, commitment. I mean, you know, it's hard to like move across the country <laughs> with someone sure. without like a, a certain amount of, of commitment to the idea that like, there's at least a possibility that you're going to like, keep trying to build a life together, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. and so, um, uh, I certainly think that that history really helped and that like intention of like, Hey, we're, we're doing this thing together. Um, this life thing together, um, was, was, was helpful because like we sort of understood that like, we're like still like sort of coming home to, one another and and you know yeah and you know i think that like at times like our relationship wasn't always like super easy and there were probably like uh times as we got like more comfortable that like our other relationships became like a little bit of like a refuge you know a way to like sort of like look away from some of the challenges of of um relating with one another. I think that's true as well. Yeah. Yeah. That makes total sense. And yeah, thank you for sharing. I want to just move forward really quick and say, or, and ask you, what is your relationship dynamic now with, with Anna and like how many, I guess, what does it look like? What does your relationship constellation look like at the moment? Hmm. Great question. Um, so Anna and I are, still together, still married. And, um, we got married in 2009, pretty shortly after moving to the Bay and, um, doing a lot more therapy right now, which is like very helpful. (laughs) And, um, uh, our therapist is my favorite metamorph right now. Uh, (laughs) 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 and, um, yeah, so I don't, uh, have any partners right now, uh, who are sort of like ongoing, relationships. I just actually just had a couple of breakups in the last like month and a half. And, um, yeah, it's okay. Uh, (laughs) um, you know, I think that, uh, that was, um, you know, the right direction for those connections for me. And, um, yeah, so right now I'm just kind of swimming in possibility and, you know, and I think that like the, the reality of, my life and my world is that like, I'm just like sort of like swimming in connection, you know, like the, the sort of, uh, like fluidity of so many relationships that have, and friendships that have like persisted over, you know, in some cases like a decade, you know, where the relationship looks like friend at some points and lover at other points. And there's, you know, just like a lot of like, love and support and admiration and um respect like i feel just like super lucky and um like not in any way like lacking in like love 
or connection, even as like the particular container of like partnership, uh, you know, is not, um, you know, like what I'm in right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I thank you for sharing that. I, I think that it's, um, you know, we could dig into like the last 10 years and everything that everything that has happened, but I wanted to fast forward and just kind of say like, okay, you know, with where things started, uh, back in 2007, this is where you're at now. As you and Anna have explored non-monogamy and, and throughout the last, I don't, shouldn't do math, 15 years, uh, <laughs> how has the dynamic shifted and changed for the two of you? Yeah. Great question. Um, so I think that, uh, when I first started, uh, sort of exploring non-monogamy, I was a lot more, um, oriented towards like casual dating relationships, you know, like still like very interested in like deep friendship and respect and, and, uh, you know, all of those important features, um, but, um, yeah, I, I guess I just wasn't like that oriented towards like secondary partnership or whatever. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's not totally true of Anna. Like Anna has had like, uh, some pretty like big and long partnerships and relationships over the last like 15 years, including, you know, uh, I mean, her partner, Joe, she's been together with four 11 years at this point, I think. Um, wow. Like yeah. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, for me, uh, I definitely like started to explore like more serious partnerships, um, as time went on. And in the last like number of years, I've, I've had like a number of like really, uh, deep and consequential, uh, connections that, you know, with people who, even if the sort of container of our relationship has changed, like we're still like exceptionally close and we're still like family and we still see each other like really, really regularly. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm like sort of figuring out for myself. Um, yeah, like what, what feels right for me and, um, uh, like, what I am wanting out of connection right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Out of romantic connection that is. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And I appreciate you being transparent about that because it's easy for someone to look at, you know, the, your history and be like, Oh, you've been doing non-monogamy for 15 years. Like, of course you got it all figured out. And it's like, no, you got it all still. figured out. Yeah. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we don't. Yeah. Yeah. Show me the person who says they have it all figured out and I'll show you a liar, you know? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, one thing I was curious on too is the, you, we talked a bit about capacity early on and I'm curious, like how, maybe how you've seen your capacity shift and maybe again, not, not to speak for, for Anna, but like how you've seen her capacity shift and then, maybe a little more detail on like how you navigate imbalanced capacities in a relationship, because that, that comes up a lot in conversations we have and it comes up in our own relationships. And I think 
you know, you're, you're doing it 15 years later. So you, you obviously did something right along the way. Um, and so just to, to understand maybe like how you navigated that or how you continue to navigate that. Well, I, I think that the biggest investment that we've both made in our various ways has just been, um, in our emotional capacity, uh, our ability to like communicate our ability to, um, like empathize our abilities to like be with hard conversations. Um, and of course those capacities like ebb and, and flow, uh, again, not a linear path of growth, but overall I would say it's going up and to the right. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I think that, um, that's been like probably the biggest thing. I mean, starting with like, you know, coming to the Bay Area and doing and, and immersing ourselves in community and like having so much of this community being uh, sort of intertwined with like, you know, hippie personal growth and counseling and therapy, you know, sort of communities and practitioners. And um, like, there's just so much opportunity to like invest in um, becoming a, a more sensitive person who has like a better understanding of like your own feelings and imagining what might be happening for Mm -hmm. other people, you know? And, um, um, I would say that we, we have both, uh, like done that work to varying degrees and is actually now a therapist, um, who, um, you know, works with folks, uh, in all kinds of relationships, but especially, you know, excited about like working with non-monogamous folks here in the Bay. Uh, and, um, you know, I've like really invested in, uh, like sort of counseling trainings and coaching trainings and, you know, just sort of like being in that kind of, um, like milieu. And that has been, uh, yeah, really crucial to my personal development because as it turns out growing up as like a boy in the south uh you know like like deep and careful understanding and articulation of your feelings uh it's not totally uh valued as it turns out (laughs) 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 so you know and and i gotta say i mean i i think that like some recent partners would say that like, I still have a hard time, uh, despite the, you know, in some cases, despite those investments, you know? And, um, yeah, I think that again, uh, it's, it's about the journey, not exactly the destination. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, I think that's really powerful. And, you know, speaking of growing up and, and emotions, I guess. But how how do you navigate having conversations, or do you navigate having conversations about your relationship structure with with people in your orbit now, like more like family and friends who may not be nominated, right? Yeah, I mean, for some reason, um, like I've just like ended up being profiled in various ways like in the media about non-monogamy um at various points um after i became an organizer of the open relationship community potlucks and the like facebook group that i mentioned earlier um i was like featured in the 
Chronicles business section <laughs> in, in an article. Uh, and, uh, you know, Anna and, and I and uh, some of our partners were like in a video in the New York Times and in like San Francisco Magazine. And like, so like, it, you know, staying in the closet wasn't <laughs> exactly an option uh, at, at some point. Um, I came out to my family in... 2011 and 2012. I mean, my, my siblings and like my sort of age peers have always been out, like they were in from the beginning, but, um, yeah, the sort of upper generation in my family, I I started telling in like 2011, 2012 and, you know, uh, and I, everyone even knows about the work that I'm doing with Bonobo and, you know, they, they scratched their heads a little bit, but, uh, they they mostly get it and my old friends in louisiana i would say it's about the same like i i lived there for 29 years before moving to the bay and just have these like lifelong uh friendships that uh persist and are still like so important to me and every trip back home is always like a whirlwind to see you know between like three different cities to see like all of my friends <laughs> and um right. yeah and so um and so I don't know. I mean, it's kind of cool getting to be a little bit of like an ambassador and like helping people to like understand and maybe like normalize what we're up to. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that at this point, um, my, my like sort of close relations, like all sort of get it. Um, my, like former professional world, I was pretty out about what I did. Um, and so again, uh, like pretty well accepted. I think that like being on the West coast, like being in the Bay area versus like if I'd been in DC or New York working in the progressive movement, like it might be a different story. It might be a little bit more closeted, but being on the West coast where, you know, like there's, burning man and <laughs> and yeah. you know just like so much counterculture just like in the background um mm-hmm. uh it just wasn't as hard you know but i really mm-hmm. empathize with people who come from places where coming out feels like it might be harder or scarier or more dangerous thing you know because like even if like you know maybe you're pretty sure there won't be any like professional consequences or like economic consequences like there's still just like social disapprobation and you know the sort of weird tendency of monogamous people to like look at your polyamory as like an affront to their <laughs> relationship choices um uh and um you know i definitely know kids even in the bay who you know have like lost playdates and such because like people may have like gotten wind of like what the parents are up to, you know, um, uh, now, uh, I mean, one of the amazing things about the ecosystem here in the Bay is that there are like now groups specifically devoted to like networking poly families. And so now there are these like huge networks of folks who like schedule playdates and, you know, they, they get together, uh, uh, you know, in like parks and they go cherry picking and, you know, just, they just like do all these like fun things with their kids. And, you know, polyamory is like pretty normal to a lot of these kids, which isn't to say that they'll choose it for themselves as they get older. But, um, yeah, it's just not a big deal. And it, it, it takes away some of the, the danger of that 
like social disapproval. Yeah. Yeah, no, it makes total sense. And I think maybe it's a good segue into like the community that, that you've built in Bonobo and like what, maybe what inspired you to build it and, yeah, well, it sounds like you started back in the the Facebook groups of or the potlucks. The potlucks were first, right? And and the Facebook groups and, and the transitions. Yeah, I guess what was the the inspiration? What was the motivation to like branch out from some of those early potlucks that you were attending from from other organizations to create a, an organization or an ecosystem of your own? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I think maybe one thing to know about me and my history is that even like well before I got to the Bay, like maybe starting in college, I was like always someone who threw like really big parties. Like I, I was just like really into creating these like uh, collective experiences and you know they were like uh, kind of like edgy in some ways. Like, you know, um, some of the parties I threw were like, you know, kegger in the front like psychedelics room in the back you know like like that <laughs> that kind of thing so um I, I think that like soon after uh, i started attending the open relationship community potlucks anna and i were invited to join like a private play party someone's like birthday um and like the way that party was facilitated like opened up an entirely new dimension of like how experiences could be created, how like culture could be built, how the expectations and norms of a space could be like communicated, you know, uh, just, and, and how much care one needed to bring to the table when, um, you know, you're playing with pretty, like high stakes uh, activities and big energies, you know, like sexuality. And um, yeah, that uh, I, I remember just like, like being like stunned and, you know, it was, and then like the second like sort of reaction was, I bet I can do this. <laughs> so, um, and so for my 31st birthday in like summer of 2010, so even before actually I'd taken over the leadership of the um, ORC potlucks, um, you know, I had this like awesome little play party with like 25 people in my little two bedroom apartment in Oakland. And um, it was like this just amazing experience. I was like kind of hooked and, um, you know, did it again a few months later and again a few months later. Um, and, um, it just sort of started to become a thing. And as like, I did sort of take leadership of the open relationship community, um, events and like Facebook group because the founders needed to, step down as they, you know, were pursuing parenthood. My network grew and as my network grew, the parties grew. Um, and, um, until at, at one point in 2012, um, uh, I realized, oh, this 
this thing is actually bigger than me and it needs like more of a container and it needs a lot more care and it needs like infrastructure and um yeah that's that's basically how how i got started yeah it's amazing and and so what does so from the the roots in your two-bedroom apartment (laughs) to today what is what does bonobo look like today and maybe what can people expect like if they go and google this and want to get involved like how how can they get involved perhaps even if they don't live in san francisco totally yeah i mean well first off i'd say go to bonobonetwork.com um where you will find um our website and our principles and some of the values that inform those principles and just like some important information about how our community works and what the expectations for participation are you know um i like to think that so our um our um first principle also our tagline is high possibility low expectation you know the idea that like um sexual communities and non-monogamous communities are best when you treat them as high possibility low expectation spaces and um you know at the same time uh i think that a thing that marks our community is that we actually have like really high expectations for our participants. Like you have to, um, like we have high expectations around consensual behavior and, you know, we have high expectations around, um, honesty and we have, uh, we have high expectations around like an orientation towards like, uh, growth and learning and mutual support and empathy, you know, being able to like put yourself in someone else's shoes, the ability to, um, resolve conflicts, um, in judicious and empathetic ways, you know, um, like, like it's not to say that people are always going to meet those expectations, but by like setting a bar and saying, Hey, like we really, want you to like aspire and like work towards meeting these ex- expectations um it creates a community that is like highly aligned around some of these values and practices and um you know i would say that like i'm just kind of a big culture nerd you know like i, I i'm really into like figuring out um how to get people bought into ideas. It's something I was into as an activist and organizer. It's something that I'm into as, um, you know, someone who is now organizing a large community. And, um, um, there's just like a lot of emphasis on like repetition. Like we just like are constantly putting our principles in front of people and talking about them. Uh, people have to do like an, orientation when so so first off people have to apply for membership um Mm -hmm. and the application you know it's partly to like weed out people who aren't aligned with our values um and uh but the other real benefit of the application is that it's like the first step of the enculturation process you know it's like the people's first encounter with us where they're asked to really think about our principles and values vis-a-vis their own lives, you know? And um, I think that they also get to see, like, oh, like, this is a community that, like, values, like, thoughtfulness around 
these mm-hmm. things, you know? Um, like it takes the average person like 45 minutes to like an hour to complete the application. So it's like not uh, insubstantial. Um, right. Uh, it takes some effort. It, it takes yeah. some effort, yeah. And we, we want people to... Like we don't want people to just be like, oh, I hear there's sex here. I, yep. you know, I, I want to hang out with these people who have the sex. <laughs> yeah. like we, right. we like we we want people who are going to be like really thoughtful participants in in the community. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was going to say like it's it's the difference between like you sitting around being like, oh, well, I guess I'll go to a sex party tonight. Oh, look at this one. I'll just throw my name in the hat and show up with 20 bucks at the door. And and here we are versus like, you've thought about it. You've considered it. You've rethought about it. You've filled out an application. You've got a way to like, there's a barrier of entry that even if it's not financial, it, it, it weeds people out based on their cultural and their values rather than their, maybe their status. Um, And I think that's a, that's a pretty amazing thing. So can really get behind that. I appreciate that. Yeah. 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 If somebody wants to, so you have in-person events, but you also have oh, yeah. uh, some virtual events as well, correct? Yeah. So, right. So you asked about like how people can get involved, um, even if they don't live in the Bay Area. And the reality is that um, uh, throughout our existence, our network has um, stretched like kind of around the world. Like we've had, we have like regular participants who like live in Australia, you know, who have lived in like South Africa and Italy and Germany and, um, you know, just kind of all over in Canada and, you know, in various States, you know, um, uh, and it's true that a lot of those folks have come through the Bay area at some point, but, you know, one of the reasons that they stick around is that the virtual community that, we create and Bonobo is like, is really unique, you know? Um, uh, like there's, uh, so much connection and so much learning and so much like sharing of ideas. And I'm like, pretty, I'm actually pretty surprised, uh, at how little like sort of, uh, like conflict and drama there is. Um, um, so to say that like it never happens, but people are like really, really oriented towards like being kind to one another online, which is no small feat. Uh, and you know, we also have like, you know, a, a pretty detailed, like, um, like online community guide that also sets forth like the principles for, you know, how we expect people to behave online, you know? And like, that's like, again, just like constantly like making your goals clear as an organizer. Um, and just like letting people in on that, like what, like, so that like, even if like they don't understand, they don't like remember like the specific rule, they still understand like, Oh yeah. At the end of the day, we want people to like feel like people were kind to them and that people like respected them and that people like empathized with them before like criticizing them or just like jumping to like the worst possible conclusion. Like it's, it's just so important to like keeping the community going. And so, um, so there's, so yeah, there's the online community. Um, there is, uh, there are, um, uh, there are virtual events, um, for a while we were, during the pandemic, during the peak of the pandemic, I should say, pre-vaccination, um, we 
I, I guess actually the peak of the pandemic was last month. <laughs> now that <I> <laughs> <laughs> Maybe back in 2020. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but before before widespread vaccination. Um, yeah, that's a like good that's really, a good cutoff. Really cha- yeah, exactly. <laughs> before that like changed the game uh, of what was possible for gatherings, we were doing like virtual play parties. Uh, we still do virtual meetups with people and those happen monthly. Uh, they actually uh, just came back and um, you know, it's an opportunity for people uh, to connect just like one-on-one in like short rounds of conversation with other participants in the community. And there are like these like really interesting and well thought out like conversation prompts and you can like talk about the prompt or you can just talk about whatever. Uh, and um, yeah, it's just, it's, uh, it's just so awesome. I actually just participated in our first one back in a, in a few months um, uh, last week. And I was just like, blown away by uh, the quality of it and there were like 50 participants uh on like a wednesday night you know um it was it was really cool um in general uh there are something like 1200 members of like active paying members of bonobo right now um and over the years i think maybe like 3500 people have come through our doors um and um yeah, I mean, I think that like, uh, if you don't live in the Bay, then like being connected to this community means that you have access to like classes and workshops and, you know, uh, coaching if that's something that you want with me or Misha or some of the other folks who we work with. Uh, it means, um, just like a sort of clearing house for, events like all around the country as people like post about, you know, things like sex down South in Atlanta, you know, and, um, and, um, uh, I don't think catalyst con happens anymore, but, um, uh, you know, there was like, um, dark odyssey, you know, like the dark odyssey events and, um, uh, you know, the Seattle erotic arts festival. And, you know, I mean, there's just like so much happening and there are people, all over the country who are like bringing their resources and their knowledge to Bonobo and like people kind of like self-organize around these different things. And that's like really cool. I mean, again, it feels yeah. like, it feels like an actual community. Um, and so, and so that's, that's one thing that people can expect. Um, uh, and then of course, like being a member of the community means that like you get to like travel to the Bay and have access to the events that we do here. And so if you ever want to like, if you're a member, um, and you complete our orientation and, you know, you remain a member in good standing, then you have access to, um, our, uh, our local events and, you know, you can like take a vacation to the Bay for our annual retreat at this like amazing retreat center in Northern California, or you can like come to one of our weekend parties and just like make a whole weekend of it, you know, like it's, um, it's, it's pretty cool. It yeah. sounds amazing. Well, it is amazing. We've attended one of your events. so Yeah. And actually, we got some feedback. One of the people in our Patreon group texted me the other day and was like, hey, I just want to let you know I was at one of the Bonobo virtual meet and greets and they were telling me all about it and how it was awesome and they had a great time. And so um, it's it's always good to hear that that that, that I don't know, the feedback is positive and I just thought I'd share that as well. So oh, thanks so much. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And congrats on what you've built. It's amazing. And 
we're excited to be a part of it, at least in the sense that we get to help promote it and spread the word and hopefully send more people your way. Um, yeah. It's super exciting for us. So thank you for doing that work and, and for talking with us today. Is is there anything we haven't talked about or asked about that you want to make sure to ask about? And Emma, was there anything you wanted to ask that I that was cut the, you off? Nope, that was going to be my next question. Nailed it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I think that we could maybe talk about like two things come to mind are, are one, our consent and accountability policy and just like how we sort of like deal with um, both like enculturation around consent in the community and, and then how we deal with like breaches. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we have like a transformative justice based approach, you know. Um, the other thing uh, that comes to mind as a potential topic of conversation is just like how we've dealt with COVID and, you know, how we yeah. like sort of come back to live events um, in the context well, of let's, COVID. Let's so dig into the first one. those things feel interesting to you. Uh, yeah, of yeah. course. Let's dig into the, let's dig into consent and, and yeah, what you deal, uh, how you deal with, you know, consent breaches. And, you know, I know, I think Misha talked a little bit when, when she was on about that, but I think hearing about it again, I mean, <laughs> the more we talk about consent, the better as far as we're concerned. So, We'd love to hear a little bit about that. And then, yeah, COVID is obviously still a thing. So how you're handling that is also really important. So we'd love to hear more about both of those. Sure. Yeah. Um, We use a definition of consent that uh, I think we swiped from Betty Martin uh, years ago, um, who does the Wheel of Consent. And uh, the, the definition is that um, at its best, consent is an ongoing collaboration between two or more people who are in constant verbal, physical, and emotional dialogue about what each other needs to willingly, safely, and pleasurably interact with one another. And I just love that definition so much. Like, like I said earlier, like so much of um, how we do culture building in bonobo is just like letting people in on like the goals uh and then like letting people like kind of find their own ways towards like internalizing and and like reaching those goals you know and so like that definition like really lets people know like that the goal is not like yes you know or you know or the goal isn't like to hold a boundary the goal is like co-creating experiences together you know mm-hmm. and um um you know we, we really like ask people to like think a little bit more deeply about consent than just like kind of touch your butt you know <laughs> like like you know it's like this almost like transactional way of mm-hmm. like thinking about consent like you ask for a cookie can i have a cookie you know someone says yes you get the cookie yay you know um and like the like can i have a cookie model i mean certainly that's like part of it but like there's just so much possibility for you know like non-consensual stuff to still happen you know uh for people to just be like misattuned for people to like go into like their uh like trauma coping patterns you know um and for people to just be like sort of like misread and not like really have the space to figure out like um like am i a yes to this you know like right like to what extent am i a yes you know um um and then we also ask our members to to like 
um, understand like what gold standard consent looks like in Bonobo. And I think that like for a lot of people and communities, gold standard consent is like uh, enthusiastic verbal consent. And I think that enthusiastic verbal consent is like really good shorthand uh, for, you know, like what you should do. It's like a good like sort of backstop. But, you know, we think that uh, gold standard consent looks like, and we borrowed this model from San Francisco Sex Information. Um, it looks like, um, uh, like, uh, you know, first off, it's it's affirmative, which means that like, you know, an invitation was made and someone actually like responded to an invitation. Uh, it it's um, informed, you know, so uh, people like commonly understand like what you're up to and like the risks of participating in activity, uh, it's ongoing. So, you know, uh, ideally like, um, you're sort of like re-upping consent throughout the interaction and, uh, not just like, uh, sort of asking once and then like never returning to the conversation of like co-creating the experience again, you know? Um, oh, and it also of course means that like it's reversible, you know? So you can like always like, uh, stop doing a thing that you previously agreed to, which I think people sometimes like have trouble setting that boundary. Um, right. Yeah. Like it can be revoked at any point. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so, you know, there, there are a few more like sort of principles of like gold standard consent, but the, I guess the point is that like in our orientation, in our opening circles, like we really ask people to like, uh, keep these ideas, in mind um because like the whole point of doing this is to like take care of each other you know and we really like center that idea a lot you know like we're like we're here in this community to like take care of each other and you know um like being sexual with someone who's like not sober enough to consent is not taking care of that person you know right um yeah and so so that's like a big piece of like the sort of pro-social like education that we do around consent. Um, and then, um, you know, I guess the other piece is like what happens when like consent is violated or, you know, when, um, someone feels that their boundary is crossed and we basically have, um, adapted from, um, uh, the Bay Area Transformative Justice Coalition, the um, accountability pod approach, um, where you know basically people um, who have been accused of uh, some harm, like rely on people who are like invested in their doing better, you know, uh, invested in like their self reflection. Uh, to yeah to basically like support them in examining what happened and what the impacts were and how to like make sure it doesn't happen again you know mm-hmm. and so it's like not a sort of um antagonistic process you know so we're not like prosecutors you know we're right yeah their goal is to make sure they can come back into the space and feel good and everyone else can feel good and not just alienate them ostracize them banish them and never let them back in. Right. I, I de- they, they hope that they can learn. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, ideally, you know, I mean, I, I do think that like, um, 
like I would say that the goal is transformation. And mm-hmm. if like they can like demonstrate that they've like really tackled the project of like expanding uh, their awareness and like taking responsibility for uh, their impact and and figuring out some like meaningful commitments for like not doing the same thing again, um, then yeah, they may very well have access to the community again. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that like reintegration isn't itself the goal, but sure. you know, I, th- I think that we understand that like, um, you know, it, it's just like so important to take a little bit extra responsibility um, for, you know, like encouraging people's transformation because like, if you don't, then you just like end up with like, you know, the same broken person using the same broken strategies for getting connection, like out in the world, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, I do think like orienting towards like supporting people's transformation is, is just like really important. And I understand that not every organization or organizer, you know, has the capacity to like invest that time and energy into that. But, you know, we, we try to the best of our, of our ability to, to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes yeah. total sense. Yeah. And thank you for that. I mean, that's, that's a lot of energy, right? To, to yeah. not just be like, well, you're out, you're out and you're, you'll figure it out on your own. But like, how can we help you? Even if you're not necessarily part of our community, be a better part of whatever the next community you find yourself in. Right. I think that's, yeah, that's right. amazing. I mean, it's a beautiful way to try and give people yeah, the benefit of the doubt and also, but like provide provide a learning experience for them and not, um, I, I guess, encourage people to grow, to change, to learn rather than the opposite. Yeah. 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 And so the other piece was, yeah, in-person parties are coming back. And as you kind of said, like the peak of the pandemic was not that long ago because, you know, we just can't seem to get rid of this one. How how are you handling parties and uh, socializing with, yeah, the fact that there is still a pandemic on the, on the loose? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, so we've been in conversation with medical professionals um, and epidemiologists and public health physicians since, like, the very beginning of the pandemic. And, um, you know, we actually, like, canceled our March 2020 party um, a week and a half before, you know, the, like, shutdown order mm-hmm. was was made um just because we didn't know enough about like how to keep people safe at that point you know yep. um yep. and and um we've always oriented oriented towards like a really science-based approach in our community um and and you know, we made clear very early on that like the kinds of conversations that we would accept needed to be like rooted in like sort of the consensus science and like not in like conspiracy theories or fear mongering or whatever. And um, setting that tone really early on was just so crucial because I think that like the people you know, it's the Bay Area. Uh, it's kind of a weird place sometimes. Um, and so, like, the people who, like, were given to that kind of dialogue, um, 
like I think just sort of self-selected out of the community because they just knew that like there were more fertile places mm-hmm. to have the conversations they wanted to have, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then th- I guess uh, that led to, you know, uh, I guess uh, November, 2020 when the Pfizer vaccine was like first announced, um, I sort of sent a communication to the community saying, Hey, like this is, this is like real hope. Like this is, this is like our path back. You know, this is the thing that's going to allow us to like come back safely and like have a chance at like some version of like normality where we get to like celebrate together in the ways that, that we're used to. Um, and you know, I made it clear like just really, really early that vaccination would be required for, um, like participation in the community once it became available. Um, and you know, vaccinations became available to people so much more quickly than I imagined in 2020. Like even then I was like, okay, so like maybe we'll be back in fall of 2021. And instead, you know, we, we like vaccination uptake was so high that we got to throw our first event, which was an outdoor daytime pool party um, in like May of last year and um it was just really amazing of course you know a couple months later we realized well we weren't quite in the clear because uh the delta variant was more contagious and also more evasive of the vaccines and so um uh, i guess in august of 2021 we start we, we continued creating events but we also added a testing requirement. So people had to like take antigen tests at the door of our events. And, and that's still the case now. Um, you know, we've, I think it's just kind of, uh, it just seems so premature that like so many folks are getting rid of like masking requirements in public places, you know, or like, or at least like if people like haven't, if you haven't like mitigated risk by adding a testing layer, you know, um, and that's kind of what what the testing was for us. It was like because we're, our parties are maskless, like it was a way of like mitigating the risk of like sharing the same air and occasionally licking each other's faces, uh, which I hear like, pretty <laughs> pretty effective right? way of spreading COVID. I hear, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So um, so yeah. So we're we're continuing the testing requirement for now, um, and we'll just see what the baseline case rate is for the next like month or two before we make any other like big big decisions. But you know, everything that we have done has been guided by conversations with medical professionals, and you know, and just an orientation towards like taking care of people as as much as possible uh especially people who you know our community is multi-generational you know like uh, at our most recent event we had folks as young as 22 and as old as like 69 you know and and so uh with that kind of like uh range of ages and like you know who even knows like what kind of like pre-existing conditions mm-hmm. exist you know we just like we're, we're, we need to like take the responsibility to like 
take care of our people basically. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Without a doubt. Well, thank you for sharing all of that, both the consent and the, the consent piece and the COVID uh, practices. It's really helpful to, and both of those are very valuable mm-hmm. to put out there and understand. And, and thank you for doing, I guess your due diligence and creating the, uh, I guess, safest community that you can. For sure. And people can find our COVID policy at bonobonetwork.com slash COVID. Um, and, um, you know, they can, like, anyone can, like, adapt that policy if it w- yeah. works for their circumstances. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, we love that. And the, the open the open source policy, I think that's something Misha talked about as well that's, like, amazing. And I know we have adapted some things and we're always like, yep, we got this from our friends at the Bonobo Network. And like, <laughs> we're not, you know, not about to take credit for that. So thank you for that work and for kind of being the trailblazers and uh, I think the gold standard and how to approach a lot of this. So we appreciate that work. And, yeah, and again, so everything you shared with us today and yeah, just thanks for being here. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks yeah. so much for the conversation. Really appreciate it, y'all. Of course. Yeah. Well, have a fantastic day, and uh, we hope to see you when we make it to California. So yeah, thanks again. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, hope it's soon. Bye. And, and we're, we're back. back. Oh, perfectly synchronized. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> Thank you so much, William, for coming on the show and sharing your story and for all of the amazing work that you do. Uh, if anyone is interested, go check out the Bonomo Network. We highly encourage you to do so. Links will be in the show notes. Yes. Uh, an echoing Emma's gratitude uh, to William for that. Thank you, William. And uh, we're excited to, to continue working together. So next week... I don't know. Do we have anything else we need to talk about other than what's (laughs) happening next week? Before we jump into next week, first up, a quick reminder, go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. There you can find information on our Patreon community. You can find information on the upcoming virtual meet and greet happening on May 13th, 2022, and the New Orleans in-person events in September of 2022. You can also find information about SE Check and the contact us page. Also, podcast show notes. There's a lot on our website. Go so go check that out. And with that, well, thanks for bailing me out. Yeah, I'm I'm feeling a little under the weather. So <laughs> I know I appreciate you helping me out with that. Yeah, you're welcome. Next week, <laughs> we have an interview with Jude. Which, uh, as you will learn during that interview, there is another event happening in New Orleans that we're really excited about that hasn't really been mentioned but kind of been mentioned. Yeah, Jello wrestling. I know. Jude is the founder of what we're going to call the New Orleans Jello Wrestling Federation. <laughs> sure. Trademarked. You heard it here, folks. Uh, so it's a fantastic interview. We're super excited about that. Come back next week. We will see everybody then. Until then, take care of yourselves. Have a great week. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. <laughs>